This morning we come to the breaking of the seventh seal. We've already seen the Lamb take the scroll from the hand of God and open the first six seals. As they were opened, we saw the woes that have befallen the church. We heard the martyrs cry out for God to avenge their death and saw how their death will be avenged at the second coming. Then, before proceeding to the seventh seal, we saw that before the great tribulation began, God had sealed his bondservants with his name and the name of the Lamb. He had guaranteed their victory even before their struggles began. As we now come to the breaking of that seventh seal, we're going to see the focus change from the persecuted church to the persecutors themselves. We're going to see how God deals with those who fight against his kingdom. Now, the key to understanding the trumpets we're about to hear and affirmation that what I've just said about the changing focus of the vision won't be given until the end of chapter 9. So we're going to have to cover both chapters 8 and 9 this morning if we're to make sense of the trumpets of warning. And we begin with an introductory scene that opens those final warnings, Revelation chapter 8. And when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. And much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne and the smoke of the incense, and the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, and he filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. At the breaking of the seventh seal, there was a dramatic pause in the action. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. All the worshiping and praise and adoration that had been taking place came to a halt as the Lamb broke the seventh seal. Then as the hosts of heaven stood in silent anticipation of what was about to be revealed, John watched as seven trumpets were given to seven angels. And then another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the heavenly altar. A large quantity of incense was given to him. And this he added to the prayers of the saints. And the smoke and prayers went up together before God. The prayers of the saints were being made acceptable to God. The incense given to the angel with the censer was undoubtedly the intercession of Christ. 
Without him, our prayers cannot reach the throne of God. But with him, because he has purchased for us the right to come before the throne, we do have access to the Father. Well, then as the prayers reach the throne of God, we see them immediately being answered. The very angel who offered them to God becomes the instrument by which God answers their prayer. He takes the censer that has been used to offer up the prayers. He fills it with fire from the altar and throws it to the earth. His action accompanied by peals of thunder and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Even though the martyrs had been told to be patient and assured that they would be vindicated at the second coming, their prayers were being answered. Time for final retribution had not yet come, but God was taking action. He was vindicating them with trumpets of warning, clarion calls for the persecutors to repent. And the first four trumpets brought forth physical warnings. Verse 7. And the first trumpet sounded. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded. And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were smitten, so that a third of them might be darkened, and the day might not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Now, do these plagues remind you of anything? You know, destructive hail, water turning to blood, darkness on the face of the earth. While not identical to them, these plagues are similar to the plagues God used to try to soften Pharaoh's heart. And before it became obvious, they would only harden it. Plagues that God used to get Pharaoh to free the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. They were signs and warnings then, and I believe these are signs and warnings here. Signs and warnings to men with hard hearts. Now, as we've mentioned before, there's no need to assume that the events pictured in Revelation, follow one another chronologically. In fact, there is overwhelming evidence that they do not. Time and time again, we're going to flash back to differing aspects of God's dealing with man and his spiritual enemy 
from Christ's first coming until the second coming. We've already seen this happening. The first six seals took us from Christ's coming as conqueror of men's souls to his coming as judge. The marking of God's bondservants then showed how God had prepared his people for tribulation, the tribulation that had been pictured in the breaking of the seals, and how they will eventually be rewarded. And now we're being given a vision of how God deals with those who are not his bondservants, those who have not surrendered to his lordship and even fight against his kingdom. Now, again, evidence that this is so will be seen at the end of chapter 9. So for now, if you will, just assume it to be so. As the first trumpet sounds, hail and fire mixed with blood is thrown to the earth. And one-third of the earth, one-third of the trees, and all the green grass, is burned up. Now, this is not the final judgment on earth. On that day, the entire earth will be consumed by fire, and the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells will come into being. Now, this is physical judgment brought upon the earth during this age. Judgment that serves as a warning, as a preview of things to come. You know, over and again, God allows natural calamity to fall upon the earth in the hopes that it will open our eyes to the fact that we live in a fallen, sin-distorted world. And that someday... This temporal earth will be replaced by an eternal one. At the sounding of the second trumpet, something like a mountain of flame was thrown into the sea. It turned the sea to blood, killing a third of all life in the sea and destroying a third of the ships that travel upon it. Now, some have suggested that this is reminiscent of the explosion of Mount Vesuvius. In 79 A.D., and no doubt that recent event did come to the mind of John's readers in 95 A.D. But there's more involved here than just a single volcano. What we have pictured is all the calamities that affect the sea, life in the sea, and even ships at sea. God allows these catastrophes to happen in the hopes that they will serve as trumpets of warning, reminders of how he brought judgment on the earth through a flood. As the third angel sounded, a great star fell from heaven into the earth's fresh water supply and made it bitter like wormwood. Now, wormwood doesn't kill. So perhaps more than just a bitter taste is in view here, at least bitter tasting water. Perhaps the bitterness comes from the deaths of those killed in rivers that flood or become polluted. The point is that God allowed an angel to take the, make the waters bitter 
made him into a source of death. And he did so in the hopes that mankind would seek out the water of life. The fourth trumpet that affected the sun, moon, and stars. Darkness fell upon one-third of the day and one-third of the night. These and other abnormal activities in the heavenly bodies should cause us to look up and should serve as warnings that one day the sun will be made black, the moon will turn to blood, and the stars will fall to earth. As the first four trumpets sound, we see catastrophes on land, at sea, in the waters, and in the heavens. Things God uses even today to get our attention. How often do we wonder why these things are happening? This is why. Physical warnings in a fallen world. But you know, these physical warnings are nothing compared to the spiritual warnings yet to be pictured. Let's continue on. Verse 13. And I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And a fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. And they will long to die, and death flees from them. And the appearance of the locusts was, was like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were like the face, faces of men, and they had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions, and they had breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings. And their tail is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Well, let's stop here. Now, one spiritual woe at a time is enough. After the first four trumpets, John saw an eagle, or a vulture, 
circling above the earth. And it was crying out, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the three remaining blasts of the trumpet. Then as the fifth angel sounded, another star fell from heaven. Only this wasn't an inanimate star. This was a spiritual being. And to this being was given the key to the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke billowed out like from a great furnace. The smoke darkened the sun, and out of the smoke came locusts. Now, nothing destroys like a swarm of locusts, real locusts, not the singing cicadas we all enjoyed this spring. The horror of locusts are graphically portrayed in the book of Joel in the Old Testament where we read that what the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. They're described as an invading nation, mighty and without number, with the teeth of a lion and the fangs of a lioness. That, however, doesn't begin to compare with this swarm. For unlike the natural locusts, these spiritual, obviously demonic locusts are told not to hurt the grass and trees, but to hurt men. And they're permitted to torment mankind with the torment of scorpions to cause such pain and anguish that men would seek death but not be able to find it. But notice they aren't allowed to bring torment to all men, only to those who don't have the seal of God on their forehead, who don't have Christ in their heart and mind. The torment these demonic locusts bring only affects sinful men who haven't been marked as the bondservants of God, those who haven't been forgiven. The torment they bring is, in fact, the torment of sin, the anguish of a searing conscience and unrequited guilt, the despair of condemnation. Notice, however, that this is pictured as a temporary condition, lasting only five months. It's a warning of what eternity will be like, cut off. From God. When men will be in such agony, they would wish for death, but never be able to find it. You know, the graphic description of these locusts only enhances the picture, showing the horror of sin running rampant. Sin under the direction of the king of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew or Greek means the same thing, the destroyer. Indeed, Satan and his hosts have been given the power to inflict much pain on the earth. But Satan's power is limited and has, in fact, been given to him by God. Why? Because the pain he causes is intended by God to be a warning, a taste 
of the horrors of hell in the hopes that rebellious men will repent before it's too late. That is the message of the fifth trumpet. But God doesn't stop there in his attempts to call men to repentance. Two more woes are yet to be revealed. And we're going to see the second one now as the sixth trumpet is sounding. Verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels, who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year, were released so that they might kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. At the sounding of the sixth trumpet, John hears a voice coming from one of the four horns or corners of the golden altar. The voice told the sixth angel to release the four angels who had been bound at the Euphrates, at the eastern border of the Roman Empire. When they were released, they led an army of 200 million horsemen a column of cavalrymen one mile wide by 85 miles long and led them into battle with mankind. And whereas the demonic locusts couldn't kill, these horses and riders could kill and did kill one-third of mankind. Now, these weren't your ordinary first-century cavalrymen. Their breastplates were on fire. And their horses had fire-breathing heads as lions and tails like serpents. You know, back in the 70s, interpreters insisted that these were Russian tanks and tail gunners crossing into the Holy Land. In spite of the fact that it didn't happen, what relevance would that have had to the world of the first century? Others, at least keeping closer to the times in which this was written, have suggested this is a picture of the dreaded Parthian cavalrymen coming in war against the Romans. But any attempt to identify this army is mere speculation. If we simply leave it a vision of armies, 
being triggered by angels of war, I think will stay closer to the original intent of the vision and free it for application in any age. You know, while demons apparently cannot kill directly, they can stir men to kill one another. And that's their most effective means of destruction. In the fifth trumpet, if the fifth trumpet pictures the emotional anguish brought on by sin, then surely the sixth trumpet pictures the horrors of war brought on by sinful, demonically motivated men. And if anything should convince mankind of the reality of sin and its horrendous consequences, certainly it is war. If anything would force men to their knees and motivate them to seek after God and his ways, surely it is the senseless slaughter of war. Whether it be battles fought with swords or guns or bombs or missiles. And God gives us the freedom to so kill one another in the hopes that we will wake up and repent. In fact, all the horrible things we've seen pictured at the sounding of the trumpets are allowed to happen in the hopes that men will repent. We know this to be true because John makes it clear in the last two verses of chapter 9. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. God allows these things to happen in the hopes that sinful men will see the consequences of their sin and repent. That's why bad things happen in the world today. That's why we see war today. God is allowing us to experience the consequence of sin. The truth of the matter is that most do not repent. The vast majority will go to their graves in rebellion against God, paying no attention whatsoever to the trumpets of warning that are sounding all about them. Thanks be to God, some do listen. Most of us here today have paid attention and have repented. And we thank God that he loves us enough to let us see the horrors of sin in this life so we will not have to endure them for all eternity. The question we close on is, 
Have you? Have you seen enough of sin and death and man's attempts to deal with it to know that God is the only one who can deliver us from sin and death and that he has done so through his son? If you have, I implore you to come. Make known your willingness to surrender to Christ and make him your Lord and Savior. The visions of Revelation, if you just hit them cold, can just leave you with crossed eyes. I understand that. If you take time to understand them, they're powerful, motivating pictures of faith. And the trumpets of warning are being played all around us. God, give us ears to hear them and to respond in faith to the promises made possible through Christ. That's my prayer this morning. Let's stand. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give.